Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Hummus Tailgate Party. I am your host, Thomas Jackson. On today's episode, we'll be recapping the college championship weekend and uh, talking a little bit about the playoff field that is now finally set in stone. So, um, first, a little housekeeping. Um, <clears throat> this is the last episode for probably two or three weeks. Taking a little break as we have a gap between um, the championship games and when the bowl games start. So I'll probably do another episode shortly after Christmas looking at some of the bigger bowl games and the playoff matchups. Um, <clears throat> in between then, we have Army-Navy and the Heisman presentation next Saturday and then bowl games begin the Friday after that, so I guess that's like 12 days from now on the 17th, um, so we'll be back running a little bit after Christmas. Also, I think I mentioned this before, but we're going to have a bowl pick'em challenge. Uh, we're going to be picking all the bowl games against the spread. Everybody's welcome to join that. It's just a little league on ESPN called... 2021 Hummus Tailgate Party Bowl Pick'em. Um, there's no entry fee, and there will be a prize for the winner. So if you want to play in that, um, just be sure to get your first picks in before the bowl games start on the 17th. And then I believe you can make changes to the later games uh, up until kickoff, each and every one. So I'll post the link for that on Twitter and Instagram as well, but it's a public group. So you should be able to just search 2021 Hummus Tailgate Party Bowl Pick'em on the ESPN Bowl Mania uh, page and join right there. If anyone has problems or confusion, let me know, but it should be pretty easy. And uh, with all that, we will jump into recapping the uh, championship games first going to go pretty deep into Alabama, Georgia and touch on all the other ones. And then we'll talk about uh, the playoff just kind of from a, a broad view. So thanks for listening. Thomas Jackson, beautiful podcast from Denver. The big bad dogs finally fall. Uh, Alabama beat Georgia 41 to 24. The uh, Alabama dominance goes on in that rivalry uh, the Georgia defense was kind of the the big story going into this game. Uh, everyone thought that after Alabama's subpar offensive line performance the past several weeks, and really all season, but uh, especially displayed in the Iron Bowl, uh, a lot of people didn't know how Bryce Young would have any time to think against this uh, bona fide Georgia front seven uh, the Georgia defense was averaging 6.9 points per game. The most they had given up all season uh, was 17 by Tennessee. Um, you know, we it, it seemed, you know, like a surefire lock that they were going to give Alabama's offensive line hell and cause a lot of problems in the backfield. And that just was not was not the case somehow. One of the stranger things I've seen in a while, just the the Alabama offensive line being able to pick it up so quickly just from one week to the next against a unit like Georgia's defensive line and linebackers. Uh, Georgia, all season, the way they've been dominating people was by shutting down the run. 
of their opponents and forcing uh, them to pass the ball into Georgia's secondary that just had, you know, numbers advantages since Georgia could get to the passer with only three or four people rushing. Um, and that, you know, caused the caused their opponents to go into kind of panic mode really early in the game. And Georgia's offense was always able to kind of take their time and do their thing and never really play from behind all season long. Um, they managed to run fine in the SEC championship game. Alabama's running back core was severely depleted. Brian Robinson Jr. was able to play. He was not 100%, but he honestly played more than I expected him to. Uh, Trey Sanders had a lot of touches, and at one point Alabama had a wide receiver playing running back as an emergency third-string option because everybody else was hurt. And just with the Robinson injury inexperience of Sanders, they were switching him in and out a little more frequently than they normally would. Um, but Alabama was able to get you know some running plays here and there uh, on the dogs, just enough to keep them a little bit honest Alabama went away from their run in the third and fourth quarter a good bit until that final drive and that and that's when Georgia was able to get Alabama off the field quickly several drives in a row Um, but the issue the surprising thing is that they couldn't get pressure on the quarterback Um, some of that had to do with Alabama's game plan I thought especially there you know in the first half it was pretty clear even before Alabama started scoring, uh, it was obvious that they were just running a lot of short routes, trying to get the ball out of Bryce, Bryce's hands really quickly. So the Georgia line, even if they were getting some penetration, they wouldn't have time to get to him before the ball was released. And uh, they didn't sack him a single time, which I believe he was sacked seven times in the Iron Bowl. And again, that's just credit to Alabama's offensive line and the game plan and Bryce for all executing really well, but I don't think in any, even the most optimistic Bama fans, wildest dreams, we would be getting out of that game with no sacks allowed. So that was pretty bizarre. Another recurring theme for Georgia in these Alabama matchups is their uh, incompetence on fourth down. They were one of five on fourth down last night. Uh, They were one of two in garbage time. So the stat is a little off, um, you know, when they were down three touchdowns. So when the game was more in reach, they were 0-3. They're late in the third and early in the fourth quarter when they started to get more aggressive and going for it. Two of these were third and nine or third and 10 and longer, or excuse me, fourth. Uh, And then one of them was a fourth and one. And... I understand going for it on fourth and one. At the end of the day, you just have to trust your guys to get the push. They were not able to in that instance. But looking back on it, it was a long fourth down that they failed, then the short one, then another long one in chronological order. And after the first two, you looked at the scoreboard, they were down 14. And it's like, well, if they would have just taken field goals each of those times, then it would only be an eight-point one score ball game right now, which could have, you know, changed things down the road if they would have taken the three points and uh, and not gone for it, especially on that first fourth and 10 uh, was really pretty bizarre. But 
Kirby's kind of notorious for when the game gets in crunch time like this against Alabama. We've seen him make some pretty bad, uh, you know, game management decisions on fourth downs and whatnot in the past. So this was it's kind of deja vu, I think, for both fan bases watching all of this, all of this go down, and that is why they call it fourth and Kirby after all. Stetson Bennett. He went 29 of 48 for 340 yards, three touchdowns, and two interceptions. Uh, frankly, he's just not that guy. He had a pretty good game overall, but a couple of crucial mistakes uh, wound up costing Georgia a real chance to, to you know, win the ball game down the stretch. One of those was an interception. Uh, pretty deep in Alabama territory. I don't recall if it was in the red zone or not, but if not, it was right there near the 20-yard line. And the other was, of course, the pick six to Jordan Battle early in the fourth quarter, which um, for me, that's that's when I was able to f- really take a deep breath for the first time, even though Alabama was already up by a couple scores. That extended it to a three-score ball game. And Bennett is lucky that wasn't Battle's second pick six of the day because on the first drive of the game, Battle cut on a ball. He was all by himself and just simply dropped it, and he had a lot of momentum and a lot of green grass ahead of him. So if he had caught that, then we could be talking about a three-interception day instead of a two-interception day. But nonetheless, um, overall, he attempted, let's see, 48 passes, And this was only the third time in his career that he has attempted more than 21 passes in a game. One was one of those times was last year against Bama when obviously Georgia was a pretty similar outcome. Uh, They didn't have much success, especially in the second half Um, this year. Yeah, he threw two and a half times more than that 21 pass mark. So. He, he's usually not being pressed to throw the ball much at all in the second half, especially the fourth quarter. CBS kept talking about how he only had 11 attempts, passing attempts in the fourth quarter all year. And, I mean, that's not his fault because they just haven't had to. However, you know, if you're not put in a situation where you have to pass the ball to win a ball game in the fourth quarter, uh, it's a fair fair thing to wonder how you will perform and react when you are forced to do that in a extremely high pressure situation against one of the best teams in the country so he was not able to get it done uh when things started going pretty pretty south for Georgia there in the second half they started panning to JT Daniels so I'm very curious to see if they stick with Bennett I mean he did get them to 12 and 0, but he just really didn't have to do much of anything. Uh, so I'm interested to see if they go with Daniel in the playoff, whether it's a start, whether it's him, you know, maybe coming in in the second half to a style. We'll see. But I imagine Georgia fans are ready for a change. And going into the season, everyone thought Daniels was going to be the guy. All along, set back by a couple injuries early on, but as far as I know, he's 100% now and ready to go. So that'll be something to keep an eye on, uh, all that talk going into the playoff uh, as they, they have a really good Michigan defense coming up for them that we'll talk more about later. 
George Pickens, uh, it looked like he was back 100%. I know that he wasn't, and he just, this was only his second game back after tearing his ACL in the spring. Um, pretty quick return, all things considered. He was super limited against Georgia Tech uh, in the first quarter of this ball game. He made the miraculous catch over Kool-Aid McKinstry to get Georgia down inside of the five-yard line, and it was a pretty scary moment for Tide fans. That was right before Georgia's first touchdown, and it looked like he was going to be a problem for us all game. After that catch, I believe he only had one more snag the entire night. It felt like he wasn't even out there on the field much at all, so I don't know if he you know, retweaked something. I mean, I figured they would have him on a kind of load management um, plan, but... I just thought we would be seeing more of him, especially with Georgia trailing and having to pass the ball a ton in the second half. So he just must not have been right. But after that first spectacular catch that he made, it was odd to not hardly see him at all for the rest of the game. Uh, The mental state of Georgia going forward, how do they take this? It's just yet another beat down by a Saban-led Alabama team. And I can't even imagine what the what that fan base is feeling right now, knowing that you might have to play Alabama again if both teams advance in their semifinal matchup. Uh, Especially this wasn't an unusual situation where Alabama's favored and Georgia gives them a closer game than a lot of people might expect. Uh, And this one, Georgia was obviously the big touchdown favorite that everybody and their brother had winning the game and going on unscathed to win the win the national championship. So, you know, Kirby, I saw him on the playoff selection show. Of course, he was saying that everybody was still in good spirits and they've still got everything in front of them, which is entirely true. Um, but, you know, how does that team come out the next month in between now and New Year's Eve when they play in the Orange Bowl and uh, and prepare, you know, as opposed to what they had been doing all before? No way we can know, but it'll be interesting to see when they take the field uh, on the 31st. Now, switching over to Bama, like I said, um, first off, I just have to mention the offensive line one more time, giving up zero sacks. They really played a fantastic game that I don't think anyone thought or knew they had in them, but it was really spectacular, and... They, uh, they they proved everybody wrong, including Bama fans themselves. Bryce Young went 26 of 44 with 421 yards and three touchdowns. That 421-yard mark is an SEC championship game record, um, and he basically locked up the Heisman. Going into this week, a lot of people were saying they were going to vote for Defensive players, and even though Bryce had the amazing comeback against Auburn, that was just one drive against a far lesser team, and it kind of spoke volume that Alabama was even in that spot to begin with to have to come back and extend that game to overtime, but he put any uh, <laughs> any any doubt to rest on Saturday, absolutely carving up the Georgia defense. He played a great game. I thought it was overall a pretty good game plan by the Tide to just get it out of his hands quickly. Uh, the receivers all played pretty well, and obviously, you know, Alabama was able to run the ball here and there, but it wasn't a really steady, consistent thing all night, so that says even more to Bryce's performance. 
uh, last thing on the Heisman. Before the Georgia game, he was the favorite at minus 200, and now he's the favorite at minus 2,000. So it's a basically lock according to Vegas, and it would be pretty stunning to see anyone besides him hold up the hardware um, next Saturday in New York. And a little fun fact, he would be Saban's fourth Heisman winner um, at Alabama, but the first quarterback to ever win it um, under Saban or Alabama in general, as all of Alabama's Heisman Trophy winners have come under Saban, but there were two running backs and Ingram and Henry, and then of course, Devontae Smith last year. So of all the good quarterback we've quarterback play we've had over the years, it's surprising that one of them hasn't won it yet, you know, especially Tua. He probably would have if it weren't for injuries, but Bryce uh, deserves it more than anyone in the country, and he showed that to basically the entire college football nation that was watching on Saturday afternoon. A couple plays that I'll remember from his performance. Uh, <laughs> the first one when I just kind of got a feeling it was going to be one of those days was when it looked like he was scrambling uh, in the pocket, looked like he was going to run the ball, and then he pitched it over to uh, Brian Robinson on the sidelines who took the ball another 10-12 yards for a first down, and Bryce probably wouldn't have made it more than a couple yards. Um, that was just a really kind of shifty, fun play that looked like some type of, almost like something like Mahomes would do. Right after that, when Georgia had really good protection uh, on our pass play, Bryce was moving around in the pocket, and you saw him direct Mechie tell him run to that corner. Mechie was being covered by two dogs, and Bryce put it in the perfect spot in the empty part of the corner of the end zone to get the touchdown there. Uh, he's progressed a lot as a runner. In addition to his three passing touchdowns, he uh, also had a rushing touchdown, which was a really nice play uh, to get it in with when nothing else looked like it was open passing-wise. That's something I've kind of been talking about all year. I was a little frustrated uh, at the beginning of the season because he seemed a bit too hesitant to run the ball when nothing was open, uh, you know, with his receivers, and he's gotten a lot better. He still doesn't take off. He's not run happy at all, um, but I think he's learned a very, very good balance of, okay, this is when I should hold on to the ball a couple more seconds, see if someone can slip open, or this is when I'm going to take it. And when he does take it, First of all, he knows how to avoid contact as good as anybody. He is so shifty and is always making a guy or two miss. Um, and, you know, people, thankfully with the game the way it is now, people aren't trying to lay too big of shots on him anyway. So he's he's really good at sliding and getting down and not taking any big hits. Uh, last play that I will remember from him uh, for a long time was his recovered fumble when he was running – he did get kind of tackled uh, by a Georgia linebacker, I believe, who punched the ball out of his arms as Bryce was a foot or two off of the ground. And the ball bounced, landed about a yard away from Bryce, and there were a lot of dogs in the area. And uh, one of them tried to scoop the ball instead of just falling on it, and Bryce was able to drag it back into his helmet. He got piled on by four or five Georgia defenders, and somehow he was able to outmuscle all of those big dudes and get it into his belly. So a performance that will go down in Alabama history and essentially win him the Heisman and lock him into college football history forever. Can't say enough about how 
how amazing he played and uh, the leadership and composure that he's been displaying all year was very evident there against the quote-unquote best defense in the country. Uh, John Mechie, it has just been announced that he did tear his ACL and he's out for the remainder of the playoffs. This is a huge blow for Bama uh, because he, him and Jameson were just that spectacular one-two punch that Alabama fans are definitely used to over the past few years. And now, you know, younger guys are going to have to step up. They did a good job in the, uh, in the second half there with Holden and, of course, Brooks. But, yeah, there's going to be a, a void to fill that Mechie's leaving off that no one can replicate his production on the uh, on the field, but they have a lot of talented young guys that I'm sure will be excited to rise to the occasion. Staying on the receivers, Jamison Williams had seven catches for 184 yards and two touchdowns. His big crossing route there in the second quarter uh, really revitalized Bama when things were starting to look pretty grim. That was on a third down deep in our own territory when we were down 10 to nothing. And if we had to punt the ball right there and Georgia roll down and score again, it would have been, you know, increasingly obviously harder to harder to come back from that. But I guess just now thinking about it, that's the second straight 10-0 deficit Bama's come back to a race over the past two games. But, uh, yeah, he's obviously the fastest guy on the field. Uh, Garrett Bulldog told us last week it would be interesting to see how Georgia's defensive backs could match up with the Alabama receivers, and if there was one area of concern, that was it. And obviously, nobody could cover Jamison. Uh, Mechie had a hell of a lot of success in the first half as well before he went down with the ACL. But yeah, I just was looking up stats last night and had to mention that Jamison is averaging 21-point yards 21.3 yards per catch on the season. That's his average <clears throat> from all 13 games, which is unbelievable. Uh, Saban was feeling pretty good after the win. Of course, it's not often that Alabama gets to pull the underdog card, but I know that they had more locker room material or bulletin board material than they could even keep up with last week. I saw him on the SEC network final post game, whatever. And he was so happy. He was complimenting the SEC Network crew and giving them props and smiling from ear to ear. So I think Saban, you know, kind of knew a lot of this year. It wasn't a typical Alabama team. And he was just happy to be winning some of these close games that were making Alabama fans mad. They weren't winning them by more. Uh, but he realized it was young. We lost so much last year. And uh, he, uh, he, <laughs> he couldn't be happier after the the underdog underdog comeback win against Georgia and Atlanta. How could you be? He is now 7-0 and in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. He's won his last 16 in Atlanta, dating back to the season opener in 2009. And his overall record in Atlanta with Alabama is 17-1. and Just unbelievable. That only loss coming to the 2008 uh, Tebow-led Florida Gators in the SEC Championship game. I was there. Hard to believe that's the last time with how many good teams we've played in, uh, in the Dome, in the Bins. But, yeah, Alabama, it truly is Bryant in the East there in, there in Atlanta, and it doesn't feel, doesn't feel better to beat anyone but the Dogs, and they're right down the road from their own campus. This is Saban's eighth SEC championship in 15 years at Bama, so he's hitting at slightly over a 50% clip on that. Not half bad. 
It's his 10th overall SEC championship as a head coach when you count his couple at LSU, which ranks second all-time behind Bear Bryant, who had 14, and well ahead of a group of coaches who have six SEC championships under their belt. So, long way to go to catch the Bears still. But, um, yeah, number 10, not too bad, and that's eight, eight at Bama. Uh, yeah, and last thing I'll say, I was thinking about it. My brother was born in 2007, which is the same year, uh, the last time that Georgia beat Alabama. That game happened in September, and my brother wasn't born until December. So he is in eighth grade right now, about to turn 14. So no one his age has ever even been alive for a Georgia victory over Alabama, and he's about to get ready to go to high school before <laughs> he'll be in ninth grade before Georgia has an, well, I guess that's not true if they, they could get us in the playoffs, but still, no one in the uh, eighth grade or younger has ever, ever seen Georgia beat Bama, and that is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven in a row since, uh, since 07. Not too bad, and a happy birthday shout-out to Will, who is celebrating number 14 next week. Moving on to Michigan and Iowa. (laughs) Not much to talk about here other than the absolute dominance of the Wolverines. They won that game 42-3 in Indianapolis. A lot of people going into this game were saying that they didn't know how Iowa would score, and they were right. <laughs> they didn't score other than one field goal in the first or second quarter. Uh, the, I thought Michigan might kind of come out slow, um, sleeping after their big big upset win against Ohio State, first in about a decade. Uh, and I was, I was wrong about that. Michigan didn't skip a beat, and they were... They were laying down the points like they wanted to be the number one seed in the country, and uh, they ended up at number two, having to play having to play Georgia, which I'm sure they'd rather be facing Cincinnati. But Michigan dominated every aspect of the game. Uh, only 30% of Iowa's offensive plays were deemed successful, according to GameOnPaper.com, whereas Michigan almost doubled them up on that at 55%. They just totally outgained and outmuscled them. Cincinnati, congratulations to the Bearcats for finishing off a perfect 13-0 regular extended season. They beat Houston 35-20 at historic Nipper Stadium there in Cincinnati. Remember the American Conference uh, teams host their conference championship games at their own stadium instead of a neutral site like all the bigger uh, conferences do. It was close in the first half, but since he pulled away, and got a couple score lead in the second half, and Houston was never really able to get back within shooting range. Uh, that stadium was rocking. Their, their running back, Cincinnati's uh, Jerome Ford, had 18 carries for 187 yards, averaging just over 10 yards per carry and two touchdowns. I had this on the side TV during the Bama game, and I swear every time I looked over, this guy was busting a 10- or 15-yard run. He was... Totally dominant, and the Bearcats are the first group of five team to break through the barrier, possibly because Baylor beat Oklahoma State 21-16. to Baylor got up 21-3 to uh, in the fourth, or, sorry, second quarter, but Oklahoma State was able to shut them out in the second half and get back in this ball game. Uh, this was a absolutely thrilling 
ending. Definitely the best, most exciting game of the day uh, for anyone with neutral intentions. Um, they had a drive in the final minutes of the game to try to get a touchdown and take the lead and win the Big 12 and possibly make the playoff. When they were inside the five-yard line, they got a P.I., which gave them the ball on the first and maybe one-and-a-half-yard line uh, with just under a minute left. Baylor stuffed them on all four plays. Uh, The fourth down play, I'm sure everyone's seen it by now, but it looked like the Oklahoma State uh, back was going to be able to get out out to the pylon. It was just him and one other Baylor defender, but the the Bear was able to just knock him out for one of the most unbelievable game of inches ending that you've ever seen as he was literally just a couple inches short of hitting the pylon with the ball. So Oklahoma State's playoff chances just missed by that much. Uh, But good job to Baylor. Oklahoma State's quarterback, Spencer Sanders, threw four interceptions, and you just can't do that in a a game of this caliber. It's too too much to try to come back from against a team like Baylor. So now looking on to the college football playoff, we finally have our field. Uh, in this order, from one to four, it was Alabama, Michigan, Georgia, Cincinnati. So Alabama will play Cincinnati in the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, Cowboys Stadium, at 2.30 Central Time on New Year's Eve, followed by Georgia versus Michigan in the Orange Bowl in Miami at 6.30 Central Time. Uh, those of you who always complain about the same teams making the playoff over and over. We have two teams this year who have never made it in Michigan and Cincinnati, obviously. And Georgia, despite how good and consistent they've been over the past several years with Kirby, this is only their second time making the playoff, the first coming in 2017 uh, with their absolutely wild Oklahoma and Alabama games there in the Rose Bowl and uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Oklahoma State losing really uh, prevented them, uh, the committee, from having to have a long night and think about what they were going to do. I really don't know who would have gotten left out if Oklahoma State had won. I'm sure Cincinnati's glad that they didn't have to figure out who um, who the committee would have chosen because it felt like if Alabama, Oklahoma State, and Michigan all won, then it was just kind of chalking up to be a heartbreaking ending for Cincinnati, but good for them. Uh, they, they were saved by a couple of inches and the Baylor defense. Um, they had Notre Dame at number five, Ohio State at number six, uh, but with the favorites of Michigan and Cincinnati winning and Alabama and Georgia both being in, there was just no way that they were going to be able to put Notre Dame into the playoff over anybody else, especially since Cincinnati, who was the one spot a- ahead of them, had the head-to-head victory over uh, over Notre Dame earlier this season. Uh, it's truly, truly bizarre that we have a group of five team and Michigan in the playoff the same year. It all kind of worked out nicely for Cincinnati having only three other Sherlock's instead of a scenario where they're having to get stacked up against a team with a power five resume. Uh, ESPN uh, during the selection show today said that Michigan only had a 2% chance to win the big 10 East 
this year, and they did that, and they only had a 0.2% chance to make the college football playoff before the season. I think their over-under on wins was like 7.5. They went 2-4 and four last year. Of course, Harbaugh was nearly fired. Um, it's really just it's crazy how fast things can change. You see the opposite tra- trajectory sometimes, uh, looking at ULSU where a team is riding high, and then a season later they are just down in the dumps. And Michigan was quite the opposite this year after a 2-4 and four campaign last year in the COVID-shortened season. Uh, Cincinnati's had a lot of nerve-wracking games this season, uh, a lot of close calls with far lesser appoint- opponents, um, but they were left out of the top four probably because of that and their just lack of strength of schedule. All the way up until last week, uh, despite being the only uh, other undefeated team, uh, in addition to Georgia, now Cincinnati is the only undefeated team in college football. But like I said, it worked out really well for them that the team who was kind of, I won't say breathing down their neck at number five since Notre Dame didn't play. If Notre Dame was in the ACC and won that conference championship, then that would be an interesting discussion. But they... Uh, they're too special and they have to do their own thing and it cost them a playoff spot possibly this year. But the head-to-head victory over Notre Dame gave Cincinnati uh, an easy night of rest last night. They had a really big banquet we saw with tablecloths and the whole nine yards. All these looked like a wedding reception type of thing. Uh, kind of like an upscale, upscale nicer Clemson pizza party that we've seen them do there. Uh, at Clemson over the past few years for when they find out their their playoff fate. Uh, they said it was for like a senior uh, football player and their family banquet happening anyway, but I'm sure they kind of spruced it up a little bit when they learned ESPN was coming to town to film it. I didn't see any of the other teams having the normal watch parties that you see. Uh, of course, like Clemson's always known for the, the pizza party that Dabo puts on. Fun guy. Uh, Alabama always does it in their meeting room. Um, where you see a lot of the videos of the speakers coming and everything. And every team kind of has their different way of doing it. But this year there were no gatherings. I don't know if that was a COVID thing or what the deal was. But that was hopefully that will be back next year because it's always kind of di- fun to see the team's different amounts of uh, reaction and excitement when they learn if they made it and who they're playing. So that's all I got for now. We'll do a much deeper dive into these actual matchups here in a few weeks when the games get a little closer and I have some more adequate time. Holy cow. (laughs) Watching the Steelers-Ravens game in the background, and I don't know if a PAT was just blocked. I hope it was, but Boswell shanked it about 30 yards left of the upright. Would have tied the game at 10. Now it's 10-9 to Baltimore. Oh, yeah, he just shanked it. That's the worst kick I've seen in a long time. Uh, um, but yeah, be back shortly after Christmas and I'm going to do a, uh, big bowl game slash semifinal preview, then a semifinal recap and probably this whole separate national championship preview there between, uh, New Year's and the, uh, title game day, which I believe is the 11th. It is on January 10th. So, a couple more then, um, see what we're doing after the season as far as a bigger recap goes and everything, but that's it for now. Join the Bowl Mania 
um, Pick'em group. Once again, it's the 2021 Hummus Tailgate Party Bowl Pick'em on ESPN's Bowl Mania platform. Free entry, prize to the winner. Just pick every bowl game against the spread. Um, and that's about it for me. So thanks for listening. Everybody have a good, safe December and holidays and Christmas and everything. And we'll be back in a few weeks. Bye, y'all.